Oops. Okay. Uh, today, my guest is Professor Shige Makino. I'll keep my introduction short to maximize our time with him. In the next 30 minutes or so, we'll talk about Shige as a person, Professor Makino is a thought leader and an esteemed scholar, and finally is a mentor to many PhD students and junior faculty. For the sake of time, I'll skip many of his accomplishments and give you a very quick snapshot. Professor Shige Makino is a fellow of the AIB, an emeritus professor at Chinese University of Hong Kong, and a professor at the Kyoto University. His research focuses on strategy and performance of multinational corporations. His research has appeared in a number of leading journals, including AMJ, JIPS, Journal of Medicine Studies, Org Science, and SMJ. Shige has served as Secretary Treasurer of the AIB Fellows, Vice President of the AIB, and President of the Association of Japanese Business Studies. He has been serving as an Associate Editor of Global Strategy Journal and Editorial Board Member of multiple international journals. He has received many research awards and recognitions, most recently the GIPS Gold Medal from the AIB. Uh, thank you, Shige, for joining us. Well, uh, thank you very much uh, for your introduction. Uh, first question, uh, what, do you, uh, what did you want to become when you were a child? Um, as a child, I, I wanted to be a journalist because I loved writing. Uh, I was particularly interested in you know, international news reporting because I was interested in uh, foreign culture. I, um, I developed my strong interest in foreign culture because uh, I watched many uh, foreign uh, TV dramas, uh, you know, such as the uh, <clears throat> last year, Tom and Jerry, um, Thunderbird, and uh, A Little House on the Prairie. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So in the end, I didn't become a journalist. But, uh, but now that I'm... Uh, you know, I have many opportunities to attend international conferences and uh, seminars abroad to present my idea. So I feel like uh, I'm doing something similar uh, to the work of an uh, international uh, journalist. So I'm quite satisfied now. <clears throat> Little House on the Prairie, I liked it too. Uh, I tried to get my daughter to, to watch it. It was impossible. She, she wouldn't understand even the concepts. The culture has changed and shifted so much some of the things actually in the, in that series, I don't think it is even we can't even talk about those things now. <laughs> so, <laughs> okay, uh, where did you grow up? I'm, I'm sorry. Where did you grow up? Uh, in Japan. Okay, I was born and raised in Japan. Okay. Uh, I was in Japan and I stayed in Japan until. Um, I became like uh, 30 some years old. Uh, so uh, I spent out of out of Japan a, 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 a for more than like uh, 30 years. So how did you choose academia? Uh, um, that, that was really coincidental. Um, I, when I was the uh, uh, MBA student at the KO University uh, in, in Japan, um, I stayed at Ivy as an exchange student for one semester. Hmm. There, uh, I met um, uh, Professor Michael Geringer. Uh, he was teaching strategic management at Ivy. Um, and at that time, he was interested in uh, Japanese business and management systems. And eventually he invited me to apply for the PhD program 
at Ivy. Okay. Okay. Uh, but at around that time, you know, I was an MBA student, and I'm I'm not particularly interested in, you know, academic career. Uh, in fact, I uh, there were many uh, employment opportunities in Japan, and uh, they were quite uh, att attractive. Uh, however, um, <clears throat> I decided to to accept and apply for the PhD program at Ivy uh, because I had a strong desire to go abroad. And in fact, um, I found academic research really interesting uh, when I was writing an MBA thesis, which is based on empirical analysis of uh, Japanese corporations. And I was uh, looking at, looking into the internationalization of Japanese corporations. <clears throat> so um, I decided to come and join the IB uh, PhD program. Um, but unfortunately, um, uh, Mike Geringer left the university. He moved to another university shortly after I joined the Ivy. Um, but uh, instead, I I met uh, you know wonderful mentor uh, Paul Beamish. You know uh, he had a great influence on my life and career. Um, and Paul has trained uh, many uh, PhD students, but I I think I I I am the the first uh, international student. Yeah. yeah, interesting. Um, something that is uh, not on your CV that you think people might find interesting about you. Um, okay. Um, <clears throat> I was a member of the uh, weight, weightlifting club at oh. university. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, I was representing <laughs> the university. Um, and in those days at, at the university, uh, I spent uh, uh, more more time in the campus gym than in the classroom. So um, <laughs> actually, I lifted uh, more than two hundred twenty kilograms in the full squat, and I competed in major, uh, uh, you know, uh, national competitions. Uh, but I didn't uh, make much of a record, uh, so um, you know, I didn't put anything uh, about my weightlifting experiences on my CV. <laughs> This uh, quite a lot actually, 220 kilograms, like 400 plus pounds. It's huge. Okay. Um, if you stopped doing uh, what you're doing today, or if you could do it all over again, what would be the second best career path for you? Oh, um, <clears throat> this is actually serious, but I I like to be a fortune teller. Fortune teller. <laughs> Yeah, okay. Um, uh, now, um, okay, let me explain why I think I want to be a fortune teller. Um, you know, I, I, I have all, always wondered uh, why okay, top executives don't read academic research, don't read our papers. Now, if they were really serious about, you know, improving business operations and performance, they should read academic papers, right? But they don't. And I was just wondering why. <clears throat> but it seems to me uh, that uh, uh, these top executives well, uh, uh, probably intuitively believe that the business success is quite often determined by luck. Okay. Now, um, <clears throat> let me you know, try to explain <clears throat> why I think <clears throat> they would think so. <clears throat> Now suppose uh, uh, you know there are two 
two persons, right, A and B, uh, competing against each other, right? If A's ability is much, much higher than B's ability, then the probability of A beating B will be quite high, right? Uh, mm -hmm. This can be explained by like, you know, uh, resource-based view. <laughs> However, okay, if the difference between, the difference in ability between A and B becomes smaller, then the probability of A, A beating B becomes lower. Now, uh, this phenomenon can be observed in many occasions. Uh, for example, um, <clears throat> in marathon race, it is very hard to predict who will win among the uh, top group of runners, right? This can apply to uh, horse racing. <clears throat> okay, um, <clears throat> it's very hard to predict who is going to win in the top group. Um, in other words, uh, in a fierce competition you know, situation, the probability of a winner being decided by ability becomes lower. And the probability of a winner being decided by um, factors other than ability will become higher. So this factor other than uh, ability is what uh, we call luck. So uh, top executives who are facing fierce competition uh, may need uh, may need the advice of a fortune teller, uh, maybe more than the advice of a business consultant. So this is why I think, uh, you know, a management consultant is, is really matured Okay, uh, uh, market and, and, and no room for me to join, but uh, it seems like a fortune telling business is still, you know, I can say out of vacancy there. So I want to try. Actually, historically, while, while, while we were talking, I was thinking of historical figures. How many of them kept, uh, not actually fortune tellers, but uh, people who looked at the stars and tried to figure out whether it was aligning, uh, whether it was time to do such a thing, etc., etc. Yeah, I mean, uh, I see your point. <clears throat> I see your point. Um, and maybe that is why there's a lot of push for right now an alternative explanation to uh, to success, to, to search and success. success. Uh, people come up with this interesting things like purpose-driven organizations, uh -huh. uh, executives with purpose versus ability. And uh, yes, there's also like uh, regrets. Have you got any regrets in life? Uh, regrets in my life? Um, well, I, I, I don't consider uh, uh, it as a regret, uh, but I think uh, I should have spent more time with my uh, uh, my parents, parents, uh, when when they were uh, uh, doing fine, uh, you know, my parents now are in and out of, of the hospital, and it is getting harder and harder for me to communicate with them. So um, I wish I had talk uh, more with my parents when they are healthier. So that is only regret I have. Uh, what did you learn from your biggest failure or mistake? Uh, <clears throat> biggest mistake. Um, well, uh, <clears throat> I 
Yeah, no, because I'm always making mistakes, so it's very hard to, <laughs> to point out uh, one. Um, um, no, I, I yeah, I, I don't have, oh, I, I can't come up with any, but uh, maybe I have so many, but uh, maybe let, let me tell you later. Okay, so yeah. uh, what are you most proud of? Uh, again, um, I have nothing to be proud of uh, about myself yet. Um, uh, but maybe I can say that I recently uh, mastered the you know moonwalk. Right? <laughs> That's uh, an accomplishment, Shige. Okay, <laughs> but I can say I'm I'm very very fortunate uh, to have uh, have met uh, so many wonderful uh, people in this profession. You know, I like you. Okay. Uh, so Thanks. Three, what's right? So uh, <clears throat> uh, let's talk about research a bit. Uh, mm -hmm. How do you explain your research and uh, what you do and why your research is important uh, to people who don't read academic journals, who don't read our papers? <clears throat> okay. Um, <clears throat> for if I explain what I'm doing to my mother, for example, I would say, um, um, I'm I'm looking into uh, why uh, companies do international business and how, and uh, which companies are more successful in international uh, business. And I said, uh, this research is very important um, because um, by engaging in uh, international business, the companies can expand the scope of their business opportunities. And the customers, ordinary people like us, uh, also benefit uh, from international business because um, our customers can, um, you know, uh, can can obtain a variety of uh, high quality goods and services from uh, foreign countries. And the local government is also happy with the international business because the um, foreign companies bring in you know, tax revenues and create uh, local employment and transfer technologies. So uh, international business is a win-win solution to the companies, to the customers, and uh, to the government. So it's a perfect study. But if you ask me about um, my research in, in more detail, um, I can say that my early research has attempted to address the mainstream uh, issues of uh, uh, international business strategy. Uh, but we take a, we took a, a, a non-economic perspective. Okay. Uh, for example, um, one of my <clears throat> my early research topics topic was the entry mode choice. Okay. Um, uh, when I started this research, entry mode uh, research has been was dominated by so-called economic studies using economic theories, such as uh, transactions cost theory, a bargaining power theory, and uh, agency cost theory. Um, but our research team uh, took uh, a perspective of the uh, institutional theory and showed that non-economic factors, such as the legitimacy, have a, a significant impact on entry mode choice. And in our uh, study of asset-seeking FDI, uh, we, we did not actually rely on traditional um, theories of uh, foreign direct investment or international trade, 
but we instead we use the framework of the um, exploration and exploitation of organization learning to explain the uh, mechanism of the uh, asset seeking FDI. Mm -hmm. And also in our, our study of uh, subsidiary termination, uh, we, we divided termination into two types, intended and unintended terminations. Um, and we showed in our empirical study that termination of a subsidiary is highly <coughs> excuse me, dependent on, on the subsidiary's initial purpose of establishment. Okay. So uh, this study actually showed that the termination of uh, foreign subsidiaries uh, cannot be completely explained uh, by economic uh, factors such as the uh, uh, increased uh, competition or uh, low uh, market uh, uh, demand. Okay. Um, and then uh, we um, uh, shifted our focus to uh, the analysis of the performance of uh, MNCs. The first thing we did was the variance component analysis of uh, uh, performance of foreign subsidiaries. Um, when we started this analysis, <clears throat> this study, uh, there were two uh, dominant uh, theoretical perspectives explaining the sources of uh, performance variations, uh, resource-based view and uh, IO uh, perspective. Um, a resource-based view uh, basically suggests that uh, performance differences can be explained by company differences. An IO uh, perspective uh, basically suggests that the performance, different, performance differences can be explained by industry differences. And actually, uh, prior studies uh, already re revealed that uh, firm uh, company differences explain uh, about 30 to 40% and uh, industry differences explain uh, 10 to 20% of the total variations in performance. <clears throat> then we wondered, uh, how about uh, country differences? How much country differences can explain uh, performance uh, you know, uh, differences? And in fact, we were uh, hoping that IB, international business, uh, could be a third stream of, uh, 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 you know, uh, 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 business research explaining the source of performance variation in addition to uh, resource-based view and uh, <clears throat> uh, uh, IO perspective. Interesting. And, uh, oh, yeah. Um, I can, what, can, can I continue or maybe? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course, of course, do it. Okay. And, um, and this study uh, led to a series of related uh, uh, studies, uh, such as the ones titled uh, Does uh, Subnational regions matter, uh, which country uh, matters. Okay. And um, in our extended uh, study, we uh, also, uh, uh, we, uh, you know, in extended study, we uh, uh, looked into uh, that's just the, the shape of performance distribution of subsidiaries. Shape of performance distributions. And we found that uh, shape of performance distribution. <clears throat> Uh, is noticeably different okay, from the uh, uh, parent farm to parent farm, uh, from industry to industry, and from host country to host country. Okay. And uh, even more, uh, we found that uh, performance distribution 
uh, of subsidiaries, regardless of the levels, uh, follow, always follow non-normal distribution where the mean and the skewness are positively correlated. So based on these observations, uh, uh, we published, we presented an, uh, an, an idea of the, uh, what we call variance center review, um, which is published in SMJ in 2017. Um, and more recent years, I have been uh, working on, you know, on many different topics, uh, you know, including the um, um, uh, transfer transfer of entrepreneurial passion uh, from headquarters to foreign subsidiaries, uh, characteristics of non-conventional FDI, uh, such as the FDI in tax haven and FDI as a trade friction measure, um, FDI impact on home country employment and effects of national sentiment on FDI and so forth. Um, so I have been working with on these projects with the much, much younger okay, a, a researchers in different countries. Uh, but I basically enjoyed a lot and I learned a lot from, you know, uh, you know, uh, young colleagues. Yeah. Perfect. Um, looking back uh, to all these uh, different research projects uh, to trying to map the field, uh, when you map up to the, the field, what's the next five to 10 years in the uh, IB research going to be like? Uh, what's the focus going to be? I see. Okay. Um, <clears throat> I observe uh, uh, three, three, three major uh, changes now. Um, digitalization, uh, emergence of giant uh, corporations, and the rise of non-democratic countries and regions. Um, now, uh, for digitalization, um, you know, uh, there is an argument that the role of MNC as an organization to internalize market transactions uh, will be replaced by digital platforms because digital technology makes cross-border transactions much more efficient. Uh, than uh, hierarchical arrangement. Um, but on the other hand, um, China, if you look at the China, you know, China's uh, Tencent, Alibaba, uh, they are really big IT giant corporations. I, I think maybe they are uh, top 10 or top 15 largest companies by market capitalization in the world. Um, but they, their revenues come, their revenues come mostly from uh, domestic Chinese market. Maybe 20% of their revenues come from uh, Chinese market. So um, uh, it, it will be quite inter interesting to see whether uh, digitalization will facilitate globalization or uh, whether uh, digitalization will slow the progress of globalization. If the process of, of uh, digitalization uh, evolves, uniquely in its own way in each country. So this is kind of interesting question to, to examine. Mm -hmm. And uh, about the giant corporations, you know, giant corporations, especially um, uh, the IT uh, giants, uh, you know, represented by GAFA or uh, BATX in China, you know, they are becoming very, very big. And some of their uh, revenues are you know, greater than uh, the GDP of some some countries. Okay, uh, for example, um, as far as I remember, 
Amazon's revenues are higher than the GDP of Belgium and Thailand. So uh, one may argue that uh, these giant corporations are big, and not only in economic presence, but also in political influence. So um, my question is, what is the consequence of emergence of giant corporations in political economy? So I'm particularly interested in how the, uh, uh, you know, the business government relationship will grow, will evolve in the future. And the third one is the about the rise of non-democratic countries and regions. Now, uh, according to the data from the uh, uh, Swedish research company, I, I, I'm sorry, I forgot the name of this uh, institution, um, but I learned that um, currently, okay, uh, there are 60 countries or regions uh, that are uh, considered democratic and 119 uh, countries and regions considered non-democratic. And the number of uh, non-democratic countries and regions is growing. Well, this is what I uh, learned. And uh, my uh, own research also suggests that um, number and the value of inward FDI in non-democratic countries and regions are growing recent years. So um, my key question here is that how uh, MNCs in democratic countries and regions balance the protection of democracy as a political ideology with the uh, uh, increasing economic dependence on non-democratic countries and regions. So uh, these three uh, topics are, in my view, quite important uh, issues to be uh, investigated and addressed. True, thank you. Uh, <clears throat> about the uh, culture of IB scholarship that is evolving, uh, can you uh, summarize in your uh, view how the culture of the IB scholarship have, uh, has uh, changed over the time, over the time that you started with uh, Paul Bimish early uh, at IB, and then now, because uh, you're now talking about uh, quite different things. And I mean, uh, many of us think that there's this social engineering going on. There are some experiments going on at the global level. A uh, mm. couple of years ago, there were uh, panels on nation building and uh, they were done by, uh, delivered by McKinsey consultants. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, I mean, nations are not built like that, but uh, Maybe people don't know history or anthropology, but but uh, well, what's the what uh, what's the evolution going to look like, or what is the evolution happening at the moment? Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> uh, personally, personally, I think uh, IB scholars are becoming more confident uh, than before, and the quality of uh, research has improved significantly in terms of. Uh, theoretical contributions and methodological rigor. Uh, so I think uh, IB scholars uh, have been making fruitful evolution. Um, but however, I, I feel that IB research has, has, has deepened within its domain, but has not significantly expanded the domain. So this is what I 
what I what I feel. But overall, um, I'm I'm quite impressed by the uh, the quality of research and uh, uh, research questions. Uh, you know, uh, you know, researchers researchers are asking now. Okay. Uh, who was? Uh, I mean, I, I think I know the answer, but who had the most impact on your upbringing, um, scholarly upbringing? Uh, who had the most uh, influence on you? Yeah, um, yes, uh, Paul Bimish is the kind of default answer. Okay. Um, what was I the best know, advice you received from Paul? Uh, from Paul? Uh, Paul said that, uh, well, uh, you know, never give up. And I will see it. <laughs> this is what Paul told me. <laughs> uh, also, I, I, I want to mention uh, Professor uh, late uh, John Dunning. Okay, when I was doing the uh, asset seeking FDI research, and uh, he gave me uh, a lot of encouragement. Actually, he sent me a handwriting letter uh, to encourage me to continue doing this research. And uh, uh, Professor Peter Buckley. Peter uh, Buckley actually asked me to take up the um, uh, a chairship of chairmanship of the uh, AIB Nagoya in uh, 2011. So, um, so uh, he gave me uh, such uh, great opportunities, and I I I I I learned a lot from that experience because particularly uh, in that year 2011, uh, you know, mega uh, earthquake and the tsunami attacked Japan. So we are wondering whether we could have AIB conference in, in Japan. Hmm. Finally, we have, but um, everything started with the uh, Peter's advice and encouragement. In your opinion, what are the top three mistakes that junior faculty or PhD students uh, usually make? and what are the things that you would say, do this, don't do that? Um, <clears throat> uh, okay, top three mistakes. Okay. Um, okay. I think, uh, you know, they tend to fail uh, three things. Uh, they, they, um, they stop sleeping enough. Uh, they st stop doing exercise and they, they stop having fun. So uh, these are mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> so they should sleep a lot and they should have fun and they should exercise. Yeah, yes, yes. That's right. Okay. <laughs> uh, what are the, uh, what's your advice for the uh, handling of the reviews? What is the handling of the uh, research pipeline to young scholars? Um, <clears throat> Well, I, <clears throat> the only advice I, I have is the same as the Paul's advice. I, I, I just uh, never give up, keep working, and uh, you will see a better result. So this is the only thing I can tell them. Okay, yeah. last question. <laughs> uh, what's the question that I should have asked you about payments? Uh, well, you have uh, already asked many questions, uh, enough questions, but, uh, you didn't ask me whether I'm happy or not. Okay, are you happy, Shige? I'm happy, I'm very happy uh, now. That's it, <laughs> that's all that matters. Uh, 
Why are you happy? Why? Oh, why? Why? Oh, yeah, uh, no, I, I just feel I, you know, um, I'm kind of satisfied. I'm satisfied with, you know, my my life in Japan. Satisfied with my colleagues here. Uh, satisfied with the uh, my profession. Satisfied with the uh, nice colleagues like you and in the international community. Um, yeah, I'm very happy. Um, I feel very fortunate to to stay in this uh, career. Perfect. Thank you so much for this interview. I learned a lot. I enjoyed it. I'm sure the audience will agree with me. Thank you, Shige. Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much.